everyone, and welcome to the Baba Yaga Project. My name is Devin. I have a master's in history and indigenous studies. The Baba Yaga Project is a podcast and blog dedicated to the study of folklore, history, and the ritualized year. Today, it's just me talking for a, a rather abbreviated episode about the winter solstice in North America. So this is just going to be a short little sort of introductory episode talking about some of the themes of winter solstice celebrations in North America and also the effects of colonialism on these celebrations. We'll probably get into more detail about specific celebrations later in January, and the reasons for that will become clear shortly. So why don't we dive in? Okay, so for anyone who might not know, the winter solstice is the period, for those of us who live in the northern hemisphere, when the northern hemisphere is tilted away from the sun. Um, So the southern hemisphere is having their summer solstice, we're having our winter solstice. When we have our summer solstice, they're having their winter solstice. For us right now, our winter solstice happens around December 21st, and it is the shortest day and longest night because we're at an angle to the sun that keeps it low to the horizon. So for the people of North America, this was the day that marked the sun being at its most southerly point in the sky, and it would mark the time when it started to turn back up toward the north and start creating longer days, brighter days, and herald the coming of a new season and warmth and light and happiness again. So we're going to talk about a couple of celebrations. The first is from the Hopi and Sunni people of the American Southwest, This is a celebration called Soil, I think. It's S-O-Y-A-L. I've only seen this term written out, so if my pronunciation is off, I'm I'm sorry. But also, uh, you can let us know at the Babiaga Twitter or Instagram. Send us an audio clip and let us know how it's actually pronounced. So Soil is a celebration that happens around the winter solstice. It's a festival that lasts 16 days, and it ends with a dance and feast. Um, The dance is called the Kachina dance. The celebration is to acknowledge the time that the sun has spent close to the earth rejuvenating itself and rejuvenating the people and now it is ready to to rise up and it's it's sort of to call the sun back to the people to turn the sun if you will toward the north again. At this time the spirits of the mountain, the Kachina, also if I'm pronouncing this wrong, Please let us know. The spirits of the mountains or the the land surrounding the Hopi and Zuni people, they're protective of the people. They help keep people from getting sick and they can help crops grow and the rains come, these sorts of things. The Kachina will be called down from the mountains to bless the people with good harvest and good weather in the year ahead and just sort of like good luck in general. These Initial celebrations would happen in, I guess they're sort of like cave type, like carved out dwellings within the mountains where people would give children dolls that represent the kitchenas and have food and fires going to sort of 
thank the Kachina for what they were going to bring the people. It's a time for purification and preparation for the year to come. And then at the end of the 16 days would be the Kachina dance and a feast. If we go even further west, uh, we can come to an area where the feeling of the season doesn't necessarily change as much. We can go out to Hawaii. At the winter solstice, there would be a series of feasts to honor the god Lono, and work would be forbidden on these days. It would sort of be up to the leader of the community to establish when this would be happening and for how long they would last. Food would be distributed, there would be feasts, possibly a number of feasts, uh, held by the chiefs or leaders of the community. Work would be forbidden on these days. It would be a time of rest and renewal. Ritual bathing was an important part or is an important part of this series of festivals because it's still going on in, in many parts of Hawaii. And it's a type of New Year celebration, um, a turning from the harvest season to the sowing season. So away from gathering the bounty to planting for the year to come. Um, this is why I was saying we're going to sort of explore a couple of these in more detail when we get to January, because a lot of them are treated as this turning of the year celebration. For another great example of that is the Iroquois midwinter ceremony, which has been speculated to have been a sort of winter solstice but it doesn't exactly, at least anymore, happen on the winter solstice. In fact, it used to happen at different times depending on the longhouse to which your community was a part of. So the way that has been marked by many Europeans who were writing about this um, in early contact in early contact was that it would be judged by the placement of the Pleiades. So at the time when the Pleiades were directly overhead at sundown, the new moon after that, directly after the new moon, this festival would start. So obviously determining that isn't super specific. Um, now most people celebrate it in the new moon of January. So a lot of them happen, you know, at the same time in these Iroquois longhouses now, which is not how it used to be. The A lot of the longhouses will start planning for the midwinter ceremony after the 10th day of midwinter, which is Children's Day. It's the day when children are named. They would start having, start having meetings, planning and preparing for the midwinter feast and ceremonies. Some longhouses also have a period for the confession of sins, and this is either a regular part of the ceremony depending on the community that you're a part of, or it will happen if someone requests it. But it has a few different parts. The first, like, sort of section of the celebration is about dream fulfillment. Speaking of dreams, uh, ash stirring, so tending the, the fires of the longhouses, speaking of dreams, doing specific dream rituals. And then there are four sacred rites that come afterwards, the feather dance, the Thanksgiving dance, the rite of personal chance, and bowl game. The dream fulfillment also originally would, so the different peoples of the, well, the different people, bleh, sorry, of the community 
would participate in these various rituals um, and then uh, surrounding their dreams and then would come together uh, to sacrifice a pure white dog. This dog would be ritually strangled. It would then be decorated with um, tobacco and other like ribbons and things, and then it would be burned. Um, since about, well, depending on which longhouse you are a part of, it, I think in New York, the most of the this part of the ritual stopped in the 19th century. In the Quebec Six Nations, Canadian Six Nations, I think the last dog sacrifice happened in the 1930s, and we'll talk a little bit about that in a second. But then afterwards would be feasting, um, the ritual dancing, and it's sort of a, a beginning of a new year as well, marking the, the middle of winter and the turning toward the coming of spring and toward um, the renewal of the year and the renewal of dreams and divination. So I really want to get into this more in January because I think it's a really fascinating celebration. But we're going to talk a little bit about why we might not hear as much about these celebrations in North America now, which is um, kind of sad. So obviously this area of the world is really sort of taken over by Christmas celebrations. Um, this is because of colonialism. So as Europeans sort of spread west across North America, taking lands that may or may not have been ceded to them, we get into the, the real effects of colonialism on indigenous peoples. So specifically, we can talk about the ways in which indigenous food production was undermined and the way that people were moved from their land to lands that may have been, you know, thousands of kilometers away from where they had been living for centuries. If we look at the Cherokee, for others, it was closer, but much more confined, didn't have the, the spread of hunting lands that would have provided enough food for the whole community. Um, and so we have people becoming very dependent on the U.S. government to provide food when they had been moved, forcibly removed to uh, reserves. Um, as a part in the U.S. specifically, as a part of the conditions to receive federal aid while living on the reserves, the religious and ritual dances, which are a major part of the midwinter celebrations were illegal. Anyone who participated in these would be imprisoned. If you read any of the biographies of Crazy Horse, you can read about this, about the ghost dances and the sun dances that he participated in and was punished for. But indigenous religion in general was outlawed. And so we can see that on the reserves with the outline of dances, but also in residential schools where children, specifically children of parents who refused to convert to Christianity um, and who wanted to continue to practice their religion, those children were removed by the state to residential schools where they were not allowed to ever speak of their religion or to speak their language or to speak their 
own names that was it was forbidden so the the way in which colonial religion and ethics have been sort of forced upon the indigenous people and um, we can see the way that even when they are still practiced today it has changed uh, like uh, with the Iroquois and the dog sacrifices not something that happens anymore and the way that people are able to distribute food has changed and most of these things most of these communities food stores would have been held collectively and so the distribution of food for feasts would have been like a relatively easy thing to not well not easy but like it would not have required so much community planning there would have been a hunt to get fresh meat um, but the rest of the foods would have come from community stores now there are and in many communities uh, like fundraising that happens for a period of weeks before these festivals so that they can gather enough food together for the whole community the way that colonialism has removed indigenous people from their land physically but also spiritually and in terms of like food production and that sort of like circular benefit is very present when you start to look at indigenous rituals and feast days so these are are things to consider as we look at the way that winter solstice celebrations have existed throughout North America. Um, these are obviously very different from, well, different in some ways from the celebrations that we might be more familiar with when we look at what has been sort of revitalized with neo-paganism in Europe and with when we talk about the next week the development of Christmas celebrations that are built upon a lot of European Western traditions. We can see sort of the ways that humans acknowledge these rites and these, these astronomical periods sort of collectively and also the ways that they are so very specific to a culture and community. And I would love to talk some more about the Iroquois Midwinter ceremony in particular when we get to January, so look ahead to that. For now, remember to check in next week when Sonia will be back and we can, we'll be talking about Christmas. Um, make sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram. And if you can at all, support us on Patreon. We, of course, would love to thank all of our wonderful patrons. And we hope that you guys have a wonderful festive season. Uh, stay safe and do good work.